Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill and Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, we have 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. And then, instead of two minutes with Tom this week, Tom's taking over for an interview with Jay Ash, President and CEO of Massachusetts Competitive Partnership. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, a down and dirty feud has broken up between U.S. Senators and presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. We'll discuss. And our own Hugh Drummond steps into the studio to talk about the Major League Baseball cheating scandal that has stunned Red Sox Nation and continues to damage or end the careers of top baseball managers and coaches. Finally, we look at a strange practice among journalists and PR people in the automotive industry, and a move by one top Detroit auto writer to end it. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air. All right, Kyan, let's get started with... Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, two U.S. Senators running for president. Mm-hmm. Latest debate. Um, a bit of a kerfuffle. Great word. H- I used hullabaloo last hullabaloo. week. Hullabaloo. A bit of a kerfuffle dating back to a private meeting that the two of them had. They both acknowledge attending that meeting, but Elizabeth Warren says clearly that Bernie Sanders expressed his opinion that a woman will cannot, at this point in history, win the presidency. She says that. He denies it. He then openly denies it at the most recent debate. Mm-hmm. He was asked very directly. He was asked very directly by the C- by, by the by the moderator on the CNN broadcast and um and moderator asks him point blank and then follows up later because she is taking the assumption that he did say this. Mm-hmm. He denies it. Yes, he does. And 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 very directly. And Elizabeth Warren doesn't really just double down. She then moves on to uh, a withering takedown uh, as to uh, why not not only is it time for a woman to be president, but the two women on the stage are the only ones who've won elections. You you guys have lost ten elections between you. I'm the only one who's beaten a Republican. She's talking about Scott Braun, by the way, who's beaten a Republican in the last thirty years. It was a withering takedown. But the bottom line is... It was a moment. It was a moment. It was it was really a moment. Um, the bottom line is, though, someone's lying. And and I think it's him. I don't know about you, but I think Bernie's lying. It, I don't think it's her. It was interesting. He got the question. He, it obviously made him very uncomfortable. He wanted it to go away. He tried to, you know, kind of make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal, which I think was a mistake in and of itself. Um, whether... It, it, whether he said it or not, to brush over it, it has been something that's been given a lot of attention. You are now being asked in a debate, did you say that a woman... That's, you know, that's a big statement. Um, and he answered it very directly and, and said no, he didn't. They moved on to Elizabeth Warren, and she very quickly, 
almost quietly said he said it and then moved on to this the only people on this stage who have won every single election they've been in are, are the women and just stole the moment oh yeah um it's it's a problem I, his, mean, I think his first mistake also was as he's being asked a question initially he, he yeah he gave one of those sort of smarmy kind of crooked smiles which never really works you could see in his brain he was saying like here we go yeah 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 didn't play very well so the fallout from this has been has been just explosive um I don't know for sure that it's the Bernie supporters, but but it, but 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 in some ways it is because they're retweeting all of this. There's a whole hashtag campaign on Never Warren, and it's really it, it's 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 really taken off. So this is a this is a fierce and down and dirty battle between the two of them. And I mean, they're close in the polls, so it, it's a natural sort of progression to get there. Unfortunately, I think when you play, whether it's appropriate or right or not, when it's a man versus a woman, it tends to just get a little nastier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was reviewing Twitter a little while ago and reviewing the, hash, the hashtag Never Warren. And the problem is that uh, someone pulled the analytics and there are more people using the hashtag to say let's not use this hashtag than we're using it to say no never like let's never elect Elizabeth Warren and you know a lot of people were saying this is just playing in the hands of bots and trolls and oh yeah whoever is trying to infiltrate our elections they will not be named and that's a problem we can't get caught up in these conversations that are just feeding what we already know to be broken about this whole system of how social media is playing into our elections. Let me ask you this in closing out this topic. You know, who is, I won't say widely, but I think it probably is, who is commonly blamed in large part for Hillary Clinton's defeat? Not, not just Donald Trump, but, but Hillary Clinton's defeat. Uh, Russia? Well, 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 that in the bots? well that oh Bernie but, Sanders, Bernie yeah. Sanders and Sanders supporters who were so negative about 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 Hillary and and and, and that that may could have made the difference right yeah. now. Which campaign is locked in in uh, in this battle with Elizabeth Warren and whose supporters are fiercely now attacking her? It's Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Does that become a narrative for him and, and, and a problem for him going forward, not just in this election, just in the future of whatever, um, you know, what the remaining cycle of his political career is? Bernie Sanders and his supporters seem to have a problem with, with women in the U.S. Senate or women who want to run for president or whatever it may be. It's, I mean, you can almost see the headline, right? Like, does Bernie Sanders have, have a, a problem with women? Woman problem. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. They just I, made a whole movie. They just made a whole movie expect, about that. It's called Bombshell. Yes. Donald Trump. The movie starts literally with Megyn Kelly saying Donald Trump has a problem with women. You know, but it's different. It's very different. That's a different problem. That's we a can't different. Put them in the we same cannot. Category. We this, are not putting them in the same no, category. No, absolutely not. Be clear. But but <laughs> but it, it's interesting. It's. I think it's going to be a problem going forward. If, and I don't want to say if it's if it plays itself out, you know, the way it needs to, but you can't be, it's not a good look. Yeah. It's really not. And he, I don't think that he, by giving that sort of 
I think you used the word smarmy, that that look and that smile when he got the question, he didn't give the issue the respect it deserved. Whether or not you think it's ridiculous, whether or not you want it to go away, I understand those things. Um, but there are people who are offended. The largest base of you know the electorate is women. Like women are huge portion of the voting population um, to offend them by sort of making it seem like you can't be bothered to answer this question once again um, it it just it does it's not a good look yeah gotta be be careful especially when they're that close in the polls not to have the last word but I do think it it wouldn't have been a win but I do think he could have gotten out of that situation by simply saying hey you know what I'm just gonna be honest I do not recall saying that at all Number one, it's oh, a ridiculous. Number that. one, it's a ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion. That's not what I believe. And here's what I think. And because all she can then do is to say, "Well, you did say it," and then it's and then it's kind of over if he says, "You know, I don't." Because how does that debate keep going on? And he comes away. It's not a win. It might not even be a tie. But I, but I think he got faced. If he had even said, to your point, you know what? For the record, right here, right now, I want to say. Yes, I think a woman could be president. Yes, that is, you know, our country is ready for that. I hope it's not because I hope it's me and be a little, you know, tongue-in-cheek. I think he made that joke at some point throughout the night. Um, that probably would have been a better way yeah. to play that. And I'm shocked it didn't come up in his prep. I know, really. <laughs> I know. Interesting stuff. All right, Kyan, thanks. Up next, we've got our own Hugh Drummond in studio to talk about the Boston Red Sox and Alex Cora, the now former manager, in the wake of this uh, unbelievable cheating scandal, which has taken down two top people in the Houston Astros organization, and now Alex Cora. Hugh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, two top uh, world championship clubs. Yes, yes. And and those championships instantly tainted, Mm -hmm. impacted, tainted by this. just sort of your thoughts on how quickly the Red Sox moved, and maybe just give a little background on what happened here, um, a cheating scandal that has evolved very quickly in terms of it, of it coming out, impacting two ball clubs, mm-hmm. and the common link, you know, being Alex Cora, right? It, right. It, 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 it comes down to the time-honored tradition of trying to steal signals, which is fine in a gentleman's game of baseball, it becomes very different when you set up a video room in the clubhouse, and it becomes sort of a technical operation. Yeah, let's be clear. I mean, uh, uh, sign stealing has always been part of the game, but it's 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 involved like real skill. Your eyes, you know, maybe some signals to to you know from player to player. It's uh, it taking it in a whole different direction to have add technology and and kind of innovation to it. Yeah, and you know, you got to wonder is. Um, is that the only thing going on in the game? I mean, we see this across sports, that the role that technology is playing and in changing the game. So I do wonder about that a little bit. But I, I do, my, my uh, a tip of the hat to the Red Sox, I think they, they addressed the issue immediately from a communications uh, standpoint. Sure. That's the right thing to do. Yeah, the whole city's interested in this and, and, and beyond. City of Boston and, and all Red Sox fans uh, worldwide, I guess. But um, sp- particularly just for us, just because it, it becomes a very public issue, it becomes a communications and public relations challenge. Um, but they did move swiftly, and now they have uh, you know some operational 
challenges in terms of fi- re- replacing him, and that, that, that gets more into sort of the sports talk uh, uh, realm. But as far as the game itself, um, do you think baseball needs to do take additional steps to preserve the integrity of the game? Uh, I, I'm one of those people that feels that baseball's uh, uh, stance and, 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 and the way they've handled, say, performance-enhancing drugs is very wishy-washy. But, I mean, would they, could they ever do something like vacate a World Series championship? I, I mean, I guess they could. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah. I, I think that's just too too much of a step. Um, let's hope they do. They don't do anything that further slows down the game. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, no, you know, I think it, it is an interesting thing. What will the punishment be from from Major League Baseball to to, to core on yeah. this? Um, they suspended the. Uh, they banned the Astros uh, folks for one year, I yeah. believe. Um, if, he's going to get at least that, if right? If Cora was the mastermind, he's going to get at least that. And, yeah, um, and my guess more. is two to three, um, and we'll see. Last question, Hugh Drummond. What's your say? You're advising Alex Cora. What's the path back? If 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 there is a meaning, if, if baseball says okay, after X number of years, one, two, three, you know, you're eligible to participate in in Major League Baseball and its affiliates. Mm. Um, What's the path back for him? Well, you got to eat some humble pie. You know, you got to, you kind of got to go back and, and do some some work that shows true contrition here. That shows that you're you're going to play by the rules. He's been an enormously um, active person on the humanitarian front. Sure. And I think uh, it would be to his advantage to kind of continue that work. Yeah. If, if he was, a, he's been a very popular figure in Boston up till uh, up, up until this. Except for this. <laughs> Except for this. Whoops. Um, and, and some of that capital can probably help him, but uh, he won't be coming back through through uh, through Fenway. No, nah, it's a long road back. Yeah. All right, dude. Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right, Cayenne, let's talk about the auto industry, or specifically um, certain public relations and media relations practices that apparently, as we have learned from a recent story in the Detroit Free Press, uh, obviously the U.S. automotive industry traditionally, historically centered in Detroit, Michigan. Mark Phelan from the Detroit Free Press, he's an automotive writer, the headline on this piece from the other day, I won't be part of auto industry workplace hugging anymore. And he talks about how he walks into rooms a hundred times a year at auto shows, vehicle introductions, dinners and interviews with automotive execs and engineers. The execs and engineers are easy. I don't hug them. They don't hug me. It's purely professional. Somewhere along the line, though, it became common, but not universal but common, for male automotive journalists and female public relations staffers to greet with a hug. Don't ask me why, he says, and definitely don't ask me who wants to be hugged and who doesn't, because nobody asks. We just do it. And the point of this piece is him essentially saying, as of today, I'm, I'm, I'm putting down a marker. I will not hug a female 
PR person again. Stick with a handshake. And and stick with a handshake or a wave or a nod. But I found this fascinating. Number one, because we're in the public relations business uh, here at O'Neill & Associates. But also because this, he's describing something of an epidemic within that very, it's not that narrow, it's a pretty big industry, but within that specific industry, Mm -hmm. automotive journalists, male, hugging female, automotive industry PR people. This has more to do with the journalists in that industry than it does the PR professionals. Well, I mean, he's bringing it up. That's just my, that's my guess. You think so? Yes. I feel like it's, it's potentially... A, oh my God! Am I blaming the victim? I feel like potentially it is a friendly, sort of bubbly PR person, um, and, and and maybe when you're dealing with you know automotive writers and road and track and motor trend and automotive news, it's a little bit of a different environment. I don't know. I really I don't really know much about it at all. You know, I've got one mm-hmm. auto industry client. Never been to an auto show, so I, I, I'm not but, positive. Uh, you know, it got me thinking about. My Your own experiences, sure. Yeah, yeah. With, with journalists. And I don't know that there's any that I hug. None have come to mind. Actually, there's been a couple here and there that, like, you develop a friendship with, and I, I don't find it offensive. I'm totally fine with it. There, there are definitely a few people over the years that the relationship, I that's appropriate to me. Like, I don't have a problem with it. Um, but... It's not commonplace. And I think that part of that is probably the areas in which we work plays a lot into that. I had a nice lunch with a client yesterday. Um, you know, he's kind of a tough guy. We did a little, we had a little man hug, you know, we had a little man, it was okay. Cause he, 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 he was, uh, he, he initiated it, it was fine. Really? I think I know who you, I think I know who yeah. you lunch with, so that's interesting. I think, I think it was, <laughs> But, and over the years, I, you know, those clients that, you know, less than less than the figures on one hand, one or two, like so, someone I just happen to have a close friendship with, and yeah. that person, she, she oh, we greet with a hug, because that, yep. that's just the way it's evolved. But, like, that's it. I mean, yeah. this is unique to the automotive industry. I, I don't really know why. And, and he doesn't really explain. In fact, the mystery of it is... There's part no, of part of what he's why. talking about. He doesn't know why this happens. I will say to your point about hugging a client. Um, there's at your lunch. Who is a friend? And, and you guys have known each other forever, so that. But as a man, I think your your position in this relationship of of hugger huggyness is a little different than than the female. Sorry. I would never initiate the hug. <laughs> I would, ex- yeah. I would unless it's unless it's a fellow large Italian man. I will not initiate a hug <laughs> with a client, male or female. I, I, I will, I will acquiesce to the hug. Yep. <laughs> I but will participate a, that, in the that's, hug. And that's probably and, a safe way to go. Because but you, but you just never know. And, but you never, and, 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 and people anonymously. Some people are not huggers. No. Some people like personal. They're, I really, I'm a big fan of my personal space. I don't like my personal space being invaded. Yeah. yeah. Um, when in doubt. Am I, am I, what? I'm far enough away. Here he goes. Like, what's wrong with a handshake? Nothing. Nothing. A handshake is Very just fine. A respectful way. A, f- a handshake greet, is fine. Say hello and goodbye. 
yeah. If the lines are fuzzy, just just handshake. Yeah. As a general rule. Yeah. Um, some people quoted in this article again all anonymously because they were because they were concerned about how it would be seen in the industry. Yeah. If they said, "I don't like to hug these guys," you know. Yeah. It, or there, it wasn't even the journalists. Really, it was like their, their bosses. You go, you you get over there and you hug him right now. It's like. What is going on in Detroit? That's okay. We can't yeah. make, we can't force people to hug. No. So uh, you do feel uncomfortable. One female executive said, "I felt once I knew someone I'd give a hug, but there's a moment of should I or shouldn't I." Another one says, "There's always a subtle power dynamic. It's awkward. Some leave their hand on you a little long." See, that's where we get in trouble. Say, make the sound ooh, right? What's that yeah, sound? That's disturbing. It's a way of letting you know he's going to use his power that way. I, I, man. There's, there's like psychological warfare here. But see, and I mean, that, the guy's writing about like you know a new transmission. Yeah. I mean, you know, or, or or like the new Tesla or whatever. I mean, is he subtly using his power that he's going to that he's going to smear? It's it, the it, possible it, inference. But see, that is the difference between being being the female in that situation and not being the female in that situation. Where that's a thing that. It is. We have to contend with. I understand. I so totally understand. That changes it. Like a, a friendly, hey, how do you do hug is very different than a hug that turns into about a half a second or more too long or whatever else. So I, <laughs> I, res- I respect that <laughs> and would not be would not want to be put in that position. So Your personal space. Yes. Respect it. Let's just all respect if each other's you, personal if space. If you prefer... We could probably do the podcast from different rooms if you want. If that's if that. Don't mock me. <laughs> I, I'm not mocking. Don't mock my space. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Um, it's a. Uh, can we just agree that it's a it's a it's a strange thing that this industry has this dynamic and, and that a major writer for the major. I mean, to the, the level. What's the, what's the number one newspaper? Covering the auto industry, the Detroit Free Press. That this guy to is the level that it needed to be covered. And, and this guy, Mark Phelan, is no, no, no doubt a big deal in, in automotive journalism, and he's saying, "No more hugging." That's it. It's not a bad way to go. It's it's a good. It's, uh, it's your best bet. It's a good policy to live by. All right, way to go, Cayenne. Thanks. Thanks. That's it for three, two, one, go. Up next, an interview with Jay Ash. Welcome, everybody, to OA on Air. It's great to have you back as, uh, as an audience. You know, Jay, we have uh, five million people listening to this podcast as you're about to be introduced. We're lucky enough today to have Jay Ash, the former Secretary of Housing and Economic Development in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Prior to that, he was with the city of Chelsea as a city manager, and that was really where he, he cut the edge to be a leader in municipal politics and government and policy and uh, Governor Charlie Baker picked him up as the Secretary of Housing and Economic Development to, to fulfill a, a, a dream both for Baker himself and for Jay Ash. Yeah. And now you're doing something different. Now you're with a mass competitive partnership. Why don't you, uh, first of all, welcome. It's nice to have yeah, you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. If, uh, as I was growing up, I always thought that I'd be Secretary, but if somebody told me I was going to be Secretary in a Republican administration, I would have uh, lost that bet. So I had a great four years with Governor Baker. I learned a lot, uh, you know, Democrat uh, my entire life. and working for a Republican governor, I learned a lot about uh, the other side of the aisle. And uh, frankly, I wish I knew more about the other side of the aisle earlier on. There is something about the bipartisanship that can make a difference. I mean, you know, Tip O'Neill made a, made a big uh, name on bipartisanship and, and certainly got lots of things done. And we had a lot to learn from the end, that experience. And 
and I learned a lot during my experience with the governor. But now I run the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership, organization of 16 of the largest businesses in Massachusetts. What's in, uh, interesting about my organization, uh, as opposed to other trade associations, is that the CEOs themselves have to participate in my organization. So when I have a board meeting, I have the CEOs of Bank of America and State Street Bank and Putnam Investment and Kraft and Suffolk and uh, John Hancock, et cetera, et cetera, uh, sitting around the table. And uh, what a pleasure it is to sit around with uh, some of the uh, brightest minds um, in uh, the United States, if not the world, uh, to talk about public policy issues. It's great. And how often do you meet? Um, the old joke is too often, but um, practically speaking, it's uh, the board gets together um, five times a year in formal sessions. But you know, when you have 16 bosses, you're on the phone with them every week. So I talk to at least one member uh, every day, and um, they're engaged in, in um, collective action on on good public policy around uh, housing, transportation, workforce development, climate, things of that nature. So uh, there's always a uh, another issue to talk about, and um, they're very. Um, very engaged in, in trying to make a difference in the Massachusetts economy, and, and hopefully that uh, affects the rest of the country. It's a powerful engine, the 16 mem members of that board. Yeah, and it really it's is. It's not only a challenge to sit down with them, but a real opportunity to find out what's on their mind, what makes them go, what is important to their business, to themselves, to their, you know, to their community, and how they make it better. Yeah, it's been it's been great to work with them and watch the way they they look at issues. You know, I I've been in the public sector all my life. This is the first time I've been in the private sector, and just as I said, it was great to go on the Republican side of politics for a while. It's been great to be on the private sector side of the economy, mm -hmm. and see how they look at things uh, differently. So I'm learning a lot from them, um, and hopefully they're uh, appreciating the efforts that I have, and uh, we feel like we're making a difference in some issues. Jay, they talked about you talked about any number of, of policy areas that they're concentrating and focusing in on. What are their priorities? Yeah, first and foremost, it's about workforce. And, uh, you know, as secretary for four years, I went around the state, and I would ask businesses, uh, you know, what was the thing that kept them up at night? Um, what did they worry about for the economy? And to a business, they always said workforce, which was interesting. I always thought it was going to be taxes and regulation. Those were two and three, but it was about workforce, and it still is about workforce. Uh, um, no doubt you've seen, many, uh, many people that are listening to this have seen that uh, while the United States economy is expanding, Massachusetts economy has actually shrunk in the last quarter, and it was all about uh, the inability to find more talent. Businesses here would hire more. You know, businesses would tell you they'd hire one or two or three or ten percent more, or fifty percent more if they could just find the talent. So, first and foremost, is about talent. So they can, they can state the issue, and what what then about policy? What, what's their resolution? How, how do they? aim to work with government to solve the problem? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. We're, we're working on a variety of levels. There's, there's a long-term talent thing, and that's about uh, reaching into our uh, K through 12, and I do mean K through 12. Uh, we've actually had conversations about uh, STEM education in middle school, and we've had uh, conversations about whether we even need to get into preschool um, to uh, help educators educate uh, the next generation of workforce. So uh, we talk about that an awful lot and are active, you know, not only talking active on that, we're doing a lot with community colleges and the state's uh, university system to uh, make sure that uh, when the students, are, the, the short term, when students are ready to, to graduate, that they're, uh, they're able to come in. Um, adult learners are an important thing, so uh, working with the uh, governor's administration, with the Baker administration on opening up uh, opportunities for adult learners to get back into vocational training, for instance. So uh, there's no stone unturned. We're trying to figure out how to keep uh, all the uh, college students that come here and uh, then get their education and leave, and we're trying to make sure that the, the folks that are here stay here. So it's not, just, it's not just the recognition of what the issues are of the day challenging these corporations, but all corporations in the state, but 
and working with the Baker administration and the legislature to make sure that some of the policy results can actually be put through. But they also have a lot of largesse. They also have a lot of capability in their in their own in their own reserves that uh, they can put forward, and they do in fact put forward. Don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're very encouraging. For instance, uh, here in the city of Boston, a number of the businesses that are members of my organization are. Um, are working with the Boston School Department. Um, several have adopted uh, individual schools. I've, I've spent some time personally over at Madison Park uh, Vocational Technical School um, talking about um, how we uh, partner with them. And so, yes, they have resources. And the nice thing about it, and it's an important note um, to observe, is that uh, their civic commitment you know, means that, you know, there's some self-interest. They want to they wanna make sure that the next generation workforce is available. But practically speaking, the kids that we're talking about in the Boston schools aren't going to get to the C-suite of any one of the companies for a long period of time. Yeah. So a lot of the work they're doing is good work to make sure that uh, kids and, and adult learners um, have opportunities at, a, at what is a great economy. That's great. Other issues? Yeah, transportation and housing. So, you know, you think about workforce, uh, transportation and housing kind of mesh. Uh, part of the problem in getting people uh, to stay here in, in Massachusetts, the high cost of housing, the frustration around the transportation. Um, it's always interesting to see the stick of shock when people uh, come to the state and uh, want to invest in the state, and then they see what a housing cost called. You know, I um, for the governor, I led the uh, effort to bring GE here to Massachusetts. and. Uh, after eight hours of giving them a pitch about all the great things in Massachusetts, and I was still with them, we started playing Guess the Cost of the House that we were driving by in the bus on the day's tour, and um, um, they would guess you know, $400,000 for a single-family house, and I'd go on uh, Zillow, and it'd be $800,000, and we'd look at a two-family house next to a convenience store, it looked like a you know, 100-year-old house falling apart, you know, somebody would say, oh, $500,000. No, that was a $1.2 million house. Of course, part of the problem was I was in Cambridge at the time <laughs> as I was playing that game. So I quickly changed to another topic, but the, um, the story is the same, that the cost of housing is, is, a, is a major problem here. Governor Baker has a, a proposal for a housing choice initiative that will help um, make housing easier to be built here in Massachusetts. And it's really a supply and demand thing. We just need to continue to generate more and more housing, not only in Boston, but in greater Boston. And one of the biggest challenges is that at one point, Boston was so expensive that you had to go to the uh, neighboring communities. In my community, Chelsea Benefit, we were right next to Boston, bordering Cambridge, and I'm sorry, uh, Charlestown and East Boston. But when the Chelsea's of the world become unaffordable, when you can't find units in Revere, uh, when Everett is uh, a place that um, is very difficult to, to be able to afford or find a place, that signals a problem for the greater Boston economy. So we all need to focus upon that. One of the ways to do that is to improve public transportation. Right. And the idea is there's all kinds of affordable housing in, let's say, Fitchburg, for example. Mm -hmm. um, Worcester is a terrific, you know, second largest uh, community in, in not only Massachusetts, but in all of New England. Um, if you can get better public transportation, especially back and forth from those places, you can open up affordable housing and make it easier for the economy then to bring in all the people necessary to fuel the jobs that mm -hmm. will grow our economy. Pretty good. And a third issue? Climate. Climate, climate, climate. Really important. Yeah, sustainability is a really important issue. And, you know, uh, to, the, um, uh, to several of our members, and remember, these are business people who are focused on bottom lines, um, climate is the single most important issue uh, facing our economy. And so uh, we're doing a lot um, around climate. Bank of America, for instance, one of our members recently sponsored a, a forum uh, for the governor and a coalition of environmental leaders and business leaders to come together and talk about uh, the Transportation and Climate Initiative, TCI, proposal that the governor and 12 other jurisdictions, uh, 11 states in the District of Columbia are looking at right now. 
Um, the fact, matter of the fact is that we, we need to do something um, yesterday about climate and certainly when you're in a coastal community like Boston and certainly when the growing parts of Boston are right on the coast, the seaport district, um, you look out at that water and you can um, you can envision a day when that water is going to make it difficult for you. Three to weeks ago they had a, a, sh a small tidal wave hit that, that coastline yeah. over there and everybody was underwater by a foot or a foot and a half. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we, need to, we, we need to uh, we need to rally and, and uh, this is this is a, um, a national, and it's a, really an international uh, problem, and, and the entire world needs to come together. I've done some traveling around. I spent some time in Europe um, in the last six months uh, talking to people over there and looking at what they're doing. We recently, uh, the, uh, the uh, Mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, and uh, the Boston Chamber of Commerce brought us out in New York City to talk about how they've uh, managed after the, the superstorm there that could have very easily hit Boston. And so uh, there's a lot of work to do around climate, so it's an important thing. And what types of things are we talking about doing? So uh, the uh, Transportation and Climate Initiative is a really interesting initiative. It's, it's patented after the REGI program. And, and what it does is it, it uh, creates a, um, a, um, an opportunity to get um, uh, a, a wholesale charge, a wholesale increase in the cost of gasoline um, to help fund um, public improvements around public transportation and around climate resiliency. And um, the, the, the sale of the, the credits to be able to bring fuel into the state um, can be restricted so that you could actually start bringing down uh, the amount of fuel that comes in here, which encourages more uh, innovation around electric cars and, and hydrogen cars and the like. And so um, it's a really uh, good initiative that uh, does the right thing about funding uh, things that will make it uh, us more resilient and, and provide for greater public transportation while also shutting off the spigot a bit on the other end. You know, some people would look at a gas tax, but gas tax doesn't always go to the issues that you want it to, to go to, and a general tax doesn't always go to the issues you want to. But the TCI um, assessment on uh, fuels that are coming in here uh, would, would go to targeted programs, and that would make a difference. You know, climate change is really an incredible thing. Partners Healthcare is building a building on Cambridge Street, 14 feet higher with a base yeah. than the rest of the street to move all the IT platforms and all the systems over there because we're afraid of flooding and we're afraid of climate change. Yeah, just let's hope that. Let's hope that we don't look at that one day and say, "Boy, they were smart because look at everybody else, right?" But there's a reality there that um, if you're anywhere near the water, um, you need to protect yourself and. Uh, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, has, has been uh, very proactive in, in organizing uh, around that issue. And uh, Governor Baker, you know, Republicans and Democrats working together on this, is a, is a, a regional leader on it. And uh, business community is stepping up and saying, yes, this matters to us as well. That's great. You sound very excited about what you're doing. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to continue to affect public policy. And um, I've, had to, I've been blessed to be able to do it on the local level and the state level. Um, never been able to work on the federal side, but uh, you know who knows. And um, uh, working with uh, business leaders who, who have a collective interest. As I met with each one of them, uh, not a one of them said, "I need you to do for me." I need, uh, they they all said, I, I, "I we need you to help us um, have an impact on on public policy uh, around those issues we've talked about." So yeah, yeah it's a great opportunity to be. It is a great opportunity. To you know, juggling some sixteen CEOs is not an easy task, but when you get them all on the same page, it's. Pretty exciting, I think. I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you here. Yeah, great, great to see you as always. Thanks, and, uh, thanks for your uh, continued commitment to good public policy. I've enjoyed uh, the relationship all, all these many decades, and 
uh, look forward to continuing working with you on the good stuff. You're a good guy and a great friend. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. And you can now tune in to our newest podcast edition here at O'Neill & Associates, OA on Healthcare with host Joe Alviani. Talk to you next week.